that excitement you had, whether it was at the library or if the Scholastic Book Fair came to your school and your parents said, you know, you can pick out any book you want or here's $10, you can spend it as you want. That excitement of, you know, you can pick out whatever you want um, off of our book bus or if we're visiting and we set up some books in your classroom. I think kids, we want kids to be that excited and with that excitement and ownership, there's more possibility of them actually reading the book or sharing it with their family and taking it home to grow their home library. Welcome to episode 35 of Wisco Legacy. I'm your host, Corey Kunder. I recently got a chance to learn photography from a former guest of the podcast, Ross Hayride of Second Crop Creative. You can hear more about Ross and Second Crop on episode 23 of this podcast. You may see a few pictures float into the social media feed now because of that. I also started a new series called What I Learned. There, I write about lessons I learned from each episode of the podcast, going back and writing about previous episodes, and also following along with the new episodes as well. You can subscribe to those articles on wiscolegacy.com. Look for an article on Rowan's episode this Thursday. Anyway, we have an incredible guest on the podcast today. Rowan Childs is the executive director of the Madison Reading Project. She created this nonprofit back in 2014 to help children get access to good quality books. Since 2014, the Madison Reading Project has been able to provide over 300,000 books to children. It's truly incredible. The Madison Reading Project is truly changing the culture of reading and literacy in the Dane County area. Now let's hear how Rowan and her team have accomplished all that right here on Wisco Legacy. Hi, I'm Rowan Childs, Executive Director of Madison Reading Project. I'm excited to share my Wisco Legacy. Welcome to Wisco Legacy. I'm your host, Corey Kundert. I'm excited to talk to Rowan Childs today. Rowan is a literacy champion. She's the executive director of the Madison Reading Project. Rowan, welcome to Wisco Legacy. Thank you so much for having me. So Rowan, you grew up uh, in England. You moved around a lot as a kid. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah. So my dad worked for a couple different international um, corporations. So we moved nearly every three or four years, pretty much my entire childhood. Um, and that has its bonuses, uh, you know, in the fact that you get to see all kinds of different um, places, experiences, meet all kinds of different people. Um, but it can also be hard because you're leaving friends behind um, or things that you like, or it can be nerve wracking as a kid or as an adult, you know, sort of a lot of unknowns. Um, but it did leave me, I think, with a lot of skills in like a either just learning different languages um, or being open to talking to people that you don't know because you're in that situation a lot. <laughs> um, but moving around a lot also, um, my mom and my dad always made sure some of those things that were comforting to us, you know, were books. Um, so those were things that, you know, books that they would read to us or that I could read to myself. Um, and those were things that I, you know, some of those books I still have today. Yeah. So you, you kind of found that passion for reading as, as a child. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it, my parents definitely were sort of adamant about us reading or them reading to us and really loved, you know, those nighttime stories that they used to read to us. And sometimes it could have been that same book over and over again. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, finally realizing that I could read, you know, a variety of things myself. Yeah. And as a kid who, who moves around a lot, I'm sure it was comforting to have, 
have that as an outlet. Uh, you know, as as you said, you met a lot of new people. Probably helped you with your your networking skills as you as you grew up. But having those books there to help you, uh, kind of comfort you, probably helped a lot. Absolutely, yeah. We definitely still have some of my favorites, um, and still think about um, even like the National Geographic magazine that we used to get. I used to love that and seeing reading in the magazine or just looking at photos of people from all over the world or different things that they were highlighting in that magazine. Just lots of fun memories of that. Yeah. So how did you end up in Wisconsin? Yeah, good question. Um, I lived in New York City before I moved to Wisconsin. I met my husband out there and he was from Wisconsin. Um, And eventually we decided that we wanted to move somewhere a little slower paced than New York um, and decided on Wisconsin. Um, I'd never lived here before. Um, and so took a little bit of adjusting <laughs> and a little slower pace than New York City, but um, I've now lived here just as long as anywhere else um, and love it. And um, yeah, it's not something I think growing up that I thought I would move to Wisconsin and live there forever, but uh, that is how I ended up in Wisconsin and now have lived um, in our county at least Gosh, for nearly 17, I think, 17 or 18 years. Wow, that's great. Can you talk a bit about that transition from from the East Coast to, to the Midwest nice <laughs> Wisconsin? Yeah, there was a lot of confusion from our friends and some of my family members on the East Coast as to why you would move to Wisconsin. You know, just a lot of uh, unknowns or just people not really knowing what Wisconsin's about, maybe apart from the university or the fact that the capitals in Madison, you know, is Madison. Um, and when we had our wedding in Wisconsin, a lot of the attendees had never been here at all to the state or not to Madison. Um, and they were a little bit shocked how nice it was. <laughs> They're like, wow, it's not just cows. Um, then, you know, it helped that it was gorgeous weather and there's lots of things obviously to do around here. Um, but they were very surprised as to actually how nice it is. Um, and that you can stop in the state and not just stop it, you know, in Chicago, you could actually venture out. Um, but yes, the transition was definitely did take a little bit of just slowing everything down, whether it's driving conversation uh, in New York City, it's definitely is a lot of like, go, 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 and it's fast paced. And that's fun. Um, but it's nice that it is a little bit slower here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And mm-hmm. you met, you mentioned the weather. I mean, Wisconsin tends to get a bad rap. It's either snowing or really hot, but I mean, the weather here is, is it's up and down, but it's, it's great. So I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else personally. I haven't <laughs> lived anywhere else, but I wouldn't want to. Yeah. Usually like, yeah. you know, March, I get a little antsy and I think mm-hmm. maybe I need, need to go somewhere warm by, by that point. <laughs> yep. But otherwise, yes. Yeah. So your your career background is mostly in in the marketing space. Can you talk a little bit about your career? And um, we have some exciting things to share about your career. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think in all the different things that I have done um, before my nonprofit have always sort of been around customer service, you know, no matter what industry I was in, it's, you know, it's customer service and the fact that it's sales or marketing explaining, you know, like, or learning what you, you know, what the customer is looking for, how you can help them, what are they trying to accomplish, um, and how you might be able to help them or differentiate yourself. And so 
initially when I was doing sales and then learning what marketing is and then realizing that I actually truly did like the marketing just as much as I liked the sales portion of it. So um, right out of school, I was in interior design. That's not what I ended up with you know, 20 years later, um, but it is very similar in you're just talking to people and trying to truly find out what they're trying to accomplish, whether it's a project, whether it's a building, whether it's something completely different, um, it all in the end comes down to trying to understand each other and get to the same <laughs> end result. Um, and the marketing piece was really intriguing to me once I realized that was actually what I was doing was a thing called marketing. Um, and I think that's so important, you know, no matter what size business or nonprofit you are, um, trying to make sure that your, your message is clear, um, who you're trying to talk to, you know, what is, you know, how you're trying to present yourself, how you want to be remembered, um, is really important to what you're trying to achieve. Absolutely. And that, that background has probably been very beneficial, uh, within the Madison reading project, which I I do want to transition to. So uh, in 2014, you launched the Madison Reading Project. Can you talk about uh, why you decided to launch? Yeah, so it was not something I initially set out to do that I would start a nonprofit. Um, Like I mentioned, I was always really into books and I had had my own children at that point, had read to them, had books in the home, thought I did all the right things. And then um, my son was in first grade and the teacher said he was behind in reading. And it kind of baffled me because I thought I'd had done everything right. Um, And what I found out from my son was he said he just didn't like the books at school. They were boring. And the teacher said, you know, he really needs to read every day. Um, And so I tried to figure out, you know, through research and talking to the teacher and taking him to the library, you know, all these different tips and tricks and things I could do to help get his reading back up to speed. Um, And then it just started to bother me that I had the time and resources to do that, and that my son then got back up to the right reading level. But what about kids who didn't have that opportunity? What would happen to them if they were always behind in reading? Um, and obviously, reading is so fundamental to children, so that you know, as you're able to ideally be able to get through elementary school, middle school, high school, if you're always behind, it's just so hard and difficult. And then what? kind of career um, or job opportunities can you get if you're not a good reader um, or if you're even able to finish school? You know, it really, it just really got me thinking about it. And it wasn't something I really knew the answer to, but it just bothered me enough that I kept thinking about it (laughs) and eventually um, thought about it enough that I thought I really should at least allow myself the opportunity to explore that um, and just finally got to the point where I realized I didn't have to have all of the answers, but I should go and talk to people who may be interested or might know something in the subject and spent about six months talking to different people, trying to figure out what was in Madison, what wasn't in Madison and where I might be able to make a difference. Yeah, that's, that's really great. What were your initial goals when you started out? Um, I think initially it was, you know, I had an idea of a program which involved new books that were fun for kids um, and to just truly just get them excited about reading. It wasn't about teaching them how to read as much as just wanting to read voluntarily or if they did have to read for school or for anything else that they had something 
fun that they truly wanted to read um, and that they would be able to select themselves. That yeah, was so the kinda, very first goal. <laughs> yeah, kind of trying to find the, the motivation for for kids to to get out and read those books. That's Yeah, that's yeah so I found a, a program. Uh, a place that would do a pilot program with me. And we said, let's just try it out for three months and see how it goes. Um, and that was at Salvation Army on Darbo Drive. And the kids and the teachers loved it. You know, I was able to provide, I came sort of with me, you know, these 30 brand new books that I was able to um, bring with that I thought that they would like and match up to the kids' interests. And then we had a variety of different things we did around those weekly. Um, and maybe to no surprise, obviously, that the kids loved the new books. They had hardly any new books or current books in their library at their program site. And the Salvation Army asked me to repetitively, like, keep going and let's, you know, let's try it out. The teachers love it. The kids love it. Um, and eventually, you know, six months later, I was like, okay, maybe we're on to something <laughs> yeah. here. And what else could this possibly be? Was there a moment where you, you felt that this could become more than just that? Yeah, I think it was probably, you know, a couple of months in where suddenly I realized how much the kids were loving it and also getting sort of assurance from the teachers in the classrooms how much this was making a difference. And then at the same time, you know, I hadn't, it was just myself at that point. Um, people started dropping off books at my house. It really sort of unrequested, like, hey, I saw you're doing something that's really cool. I have this box of books that are in really good condition. I'd left them at your house because I thought you'd be able to get them to kids who needed them. And that was really interesting because I didn't even ask people for those. Um, and so that, that was sort of happening. And someone else messaged me and was like, hey, I saw what you're doing. How can I donate money? <laughs> I was like, wait, how do I do that legally? Um, so like all these sort of things were in flux and that's when I thought maybe there was something else here that we needed to really find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's probably cool to sit back and reflect on those, those early days. Um, can you talk about the, the growth you've experienced, uh, within those first few years? I, I was reading, doing some research and, um, you grew a lot in a short amount of time. <laughs> yeah. So we had, um, I think sort of once we kind of figured out some of our programs and what we were doing initially, it was all volunteer based, all books were donated. Um, and then slowly or not so slowly, um, over time, um, started adding an employee, one employee initially, um, to really help out. I had a full-time job during the day. Um, so I needed someone to help out during the day, whether that was organizing the volunteers or the books. Um, and it slowly added our own first book center because all these books started arriving and my basement filled up with donated books. So how do you figure all of those things out? Um, so we went from their very first partner to slowly adding more and more in um, that we thought that we would be able to accommodate the books that were being donated to us. And slowly over the years, my goal was always to be able to eventually have enough funding so that we would have a really nice mix of books that were purchased and that were donated. Um, and still to this day, we still have books that are donated and many more that are purchased. Um, 
but that was really important to me so that we have books that kids truly want, um, that as soon as they see them, they're so excited um, to pick them up and write their name in them and keep them and read them. Um, and also give many different people an opportunity to participate in our program, which is if you can donate you know, a new book yourself or you have a good book in good condition, you can participate in helping us. And if you have $100 or $1,000 to give, you can also participate in that. Yeah, so slowly over time, we've grown that model. Um, and now we have hundreds of community partners that we work with and a lot more employees. And we're able to reach thousands of kids at this, you know, especially during the summer on a monthly basis and give out thousands of books away each month. And yeah, it's sometimes is a little <laughs> overwhelming thinking about what we've all been able to do. Um, but it has been really uh, rewarding to see always in the end, it sort of always comes back to kids um, for me is um, knowing that the type of books that we've been able to give out um, and to many kids in all different kinds of scenarios um, and neighborhoods and areas of Dane County. So um, there's still plenty of work to be done in helping them with their reading and their literacy rates. Um, but I believe we are making a difference. Absolutely. It, it, that's incredible what you've been able to build, uh, you and the team been able to build within the yes. last eight years. Um, I remember that feeling as a kid uh, going, even to just go check out a library book at school, uh, going and, you know, there's a specific book I've wanted for a little bit and it, it's been checked out and it's finally back. And uh, I remember, remember that feeling. Um, I was into sports, biography, like, autobiography mm -hmm. type stuff but uh it was that feeling was was awesome so yeah. i'm i'm so glad you're, you're making that impact <laughs> yeah i mean people sort of ask you know like how does this really work or with our book bus and i always tell people like that excitement you had whether it was at the library or if the scholastic book fair came to your school and your parents mm -hmm. said you know you can pick out any book you want or here's ten dollars you can spend it as you want that excitement of, you know, you can pick out whatever you want um, off of our book bus or if we're visiting and we set up some books in your classroom. I think kids, we want kids to be that excited. And with that excitement and ownership, there's more possibility of them actually reading the book or sharing it with their family and taking it home to grow their home library. Absolutely. Can you talk about the, the book bus? It's a really cool concept. Yeah. So, you know, after figuring out our, you know, some of our different programs, we were still having staff drive, you know, to different types of events or schools with boxes of books and a t folding table. And as much as that is exciting, <laughs> we really wanted, you know, to figure out a different way to market ourselves, um, whether that's um, out on the road or at a school or an event. And I really, really wanted our own bookmobile. And we thought that way we can drive the vehicle everywhere. We can go to where kids are. So we can go to a school, we can go to an apartment complex, we can go to the park. Um, and really having that mobile ability was like completely a game changer for us and being able to curate the books that are on the bus to where we're going. Um, and that was huge for us and just completely turned our organization around in many ways. Um, so if you see the bus out and about, I feel like kids see it and they're, again, it's, you know, a little bit of that marketing on 
the fact that when you see the bus, nearly everybody knows immediately, like there's something really cool inside. <laughs> it's got kids reading and there's cool graphics on the outside. It says in English and in Spanish that the books are free. And we want people to be excited when we pull up that they just want to come in or come and ask questions right away. That's, that's so cool. Um, can you've alluded to this a few times for the last eight years, you've been working a full-time job while also uh, leading this. And within the last month, I believe you, you've taken that leap and you're going full-time as the executive director for the Madison reading project. I have a, a two, two fold question here. Can you talk about balancing, uh, the work life, your family life and, um, the Madison Reading Project, and then uh, talk about how excited you are to do this full time. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, starting off, like you mentioned, so I've always worked a full time job. Um, and how I've been able to grow the Madison Reading Project um, is really to try and hire key people that I knew that were available when I wasn't. Um, so that they were able to do their work for the most part while I was at my other job. And slowly over time, you know, tried my best during early mornings, lunch hours, <laughs> after work weekends to try and fit it all in as much as I possibly could, um, which isn't always easy to do by any means. And I feel like there definitely were some things that I had to give up in order to do that or to try and squeeze that in after my kids went to bed or before they got up in the morning um, or spend every lunch break talking to my staff. <laughs> but that was really important to me. And it was, I feel, you know, was the way for me to be able to still communicate and stay in touch with what we were doing. Um, and it wasn't always easy to do, um, but I think probably for other people as well, you know, when you're passionate about something and you see the potential and um, the outcome of it, um, I think that's why I just continued with it because I could see that it had um, the possibility of being something amazing. And I could see the direct effect of kids loving their books and teachers and parents and many different people calling us and saying um, that they wanted to work with us on um, getting books to their kids. Yeah, that's incredible. So how excited are you to uh, dive into this full time? <laughs> I'm really excited. Um, so like you mentioned, I had another job just until recently. Um, and that was, you know, it's always, I think, hard to walk away from anything that you're spending time in. Um, but having two jobs and a family is extremely hard and it was just becoming more and more difficult. Um, and so finally, <laughs> several months ago, I knew that I just was, you know, like at complete capacity and just couldn't do it anymore. And we'd been talking about it a lot with our board. Um, so I feel really fortunate that I am able to do this now full time and just put all of my energy and passion into Madison Reading Project, into just one job. Um, and I also probably feel a little less stress and not having to manage 40 plates spinning in the air and maybe just 20. <laughs> so That's there's, good. I definitely feel mentally a lot better as well. That's good. That mm -hmm. is definitely an important piece of the puzzle. Um, yes. What kind of opportunities do you think this can provide uh, for you in the Madison Reading Project? Yeah, I mean, 
I'm ex- I, I feel a lot of excitement, I think, in. Um, hey, Sarah. Sorry about that. You're good. Um, the excitement and just having uh, more space and capacity to be able to think about what we're working on, to connect more with our donors and our community partners. Um, there, you know, even being able to just have more time individually with all of our different staff, you know, more time to do things, to think of things, um, how we're going to grow our programs, how we're going to grow our bus fleet, um, all those different things that I finally have more time for. Um, and just, I would say even, you know, that luxury of that little bit more of space and time to think things through and not be so rushed, um, is really important too. Good. Mm-hmm. Do you have any upcoming events uh, that you're hosting or involved yeah, in? Yeah. So in the summer, our bus is really busy out at program sites. Um, so um, we do have a variety of public events that we do with the parks department and with a variety of different rec departments um, and our own mobile group that we are part of called Mobile Madison. Um, so those are events are throughout the summer. Um, and tonight we are going, <laughs> we have a Bruce for Books event that the staff are getting ready for. Um, and then we have a bigger event at the end of the year called Community Book Drive. And it's a month long event. So I feel like anyone could be part of that. Um, and it's this huge lead up really to like our big book giving at the end of the year uh, where we work with Empty Stocking Club and lots of individual clubs, whether it's Boys and Girls Club, Salvation Army, Toys for Tots. Um, we're usually in December, we might give anywhere from 15 to 30,000 books by the very end of the year. So we need lots of community partners and help uh, to make that happen. Absolutely. Do you, I know you're focused on the Dane County area. Do you see a potential expansion of this at some point? I do. I mean, that's something I think we'll finally have time to really think through a little bit. We do have some partners outside of Dane County already. Um, and right now it's been pretty much like if we can get the books to you or if you can come and get your books, you know, you can have them. Um, already when we have the educators program, we have teachers that come from all other southern Wisconsin to us to pick up their books. Um, we give out 20 free, 25 free books per educator um, at the beginning of the school year. Um, and that's something that's become really popular, um, and we love to continue to grow that, but I think there's also a good possibility that we will be able to expand beyond Dane County, um, cause there's definitely a need there. That's really exciting. Can't wait to see, see what the future has in store. <laughs> uh, so, so how can our listeners help support the Madison Reading Project? Yeah, I mean, definitely, if you want to learn more about us, our website has all kinds of information and photos, um, madisonreadingproject.com. People can participate if you have books at home that you want to donate um, to us. We have some guidelines on how to exactly do that, or if you want to do your own book drive, um, whether your kid wants to do that, or if you're an adult or you're part of a group or your employer, Um, There's many different ways to get involved or do a book drive or a virtual book drive. Um, And then we do have some different events such as the community book drive that we need sponsors for. Um, But we do try and partner um, with a variety of different people and organizations, small and large, because we know that um, I feel like giving everyone the opportunity to help out is really important. 
I will make sure to put the, the website in our description in the podcast here so people can easily access that. And Great. I know we're on social, you're, so, you're on social media as well. Um, yeah. Posting on Facebook, Instagram, and I know you personally are on LinkedIn. You're, you have a big presence on LinkedIn. Yeah, I really, <laughs> I, don't know, I know everybody's not on LinkedIn, but um, I don't, it's, I feel like it is very different than Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn. But I have been on there a long time, so I do have some of my LinkedIn friends that I feel like I've known for a really long time. It's always nice when you get to finally meet some of them. (laughs) Absolutely. Or, you know, share professional stuff. Yeah. Or sometimes some fun stuff in there, too. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I do want to swing back to uh, when you started building building uh, the Madison Reading Project and just hear about uh, some of the things that you you learned in the early days that have really helped you uh, within your, your whole growth stage and kind of beyond there. Yeah. I mean, I think some of the things I realized, A, was that I didn't have to know everything in order to start, um, which seems pretty basic. But, you know, when you're starting with a whole new idea, Um, sometimes that can be really daunting that you need to be an expert at everything that you want to do. And I think once I got over that hurdle of, um, not real, of realizing you didn't have to know all of the answers or you didn't need a degree in everything you were trying to do was really important. Um, and that people were also excited and sharing sort of what you're trying to do, for instance, on LinkedIn, like explaining what I'm trying to do and who might be interested in helping. You just never know. Um, so that is something that I did do early on. And that's how I found many of my first volunteers or donors was they were excited that this was something new that they were being part of. Um, so I did share that path with people. And I think that was actually really helpful. And people were very generous with their time or funds to be able to see, hear what I was trying to do and help me do that. Um, And then I think lastly, the other thing, when I started out, there wasn't a huge amount of, um, I would say, like entrepreneurial groups that were really focused on nonprofits or social good. Um, It was a lot about entrepreneurs and growing companies and for profit. Um, And it was really intriguing, but it wasn't didn't, you know, click off every box for me. Um, But realizing some of the things that non nonprofits have to figure out is actually quite similar to for-profit. It's just a little, you know, a little bit different. Um, But you have some of the same struggles, whether it's, you know, figuring out who you're selling to, who you're trying to connect with, um, who your customer is, you know, employment, employers, volunteers, um, you know, and trying to find physical space for an office. Those are all similar things. Um, with a slightly different story. So I was able to participate in a variety of entrepreneur groups. And then eventually there are some now um, sort of startup groups for nonprofits too, that I still participate in. And it's good to do that. Some of the things that you you mentioned resonate with me in the podcast. I've, mm. I built everything by myself. I, I do all the, the promotion and uh, graphic design and editing and scheduling and everything and um, hoping someday I can get to a point where I can uh, not have everything on my plate. So um, I, <laughs> I understand that. And I would also add when something is that, you know, is not your strong suit to a very you know specific point or degree that 
hiring someone to do something that you hate to do or you don't have time to do is well worth it. <laughs> yeah, so it, those it are helps things. fuel that passion, I think. Yes. When yeah. you get to do what you love to do and some of the things that are you're okay doing, but some of those things, like for me, hiring an accountant was really important because I did not want to do that. Um, mm. And that was well worth paying them to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, anything else you want to add about the, the Madison Reading Project? Otherwise, I have some other, a couple fun questions to, to go through. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think um, if anyone's interested in what we do or if they want to check us out on social media, um, we're finally able to have people come to our book center, too. So if you're interested, um, definitely give me a shout. I'm happy to give anyone a tour or hopefully when the bus is here, be able to show them the bus, too. But it's is awesome definitely very busy during the summer months. Um, but it would be great if anybody is interested in helping us make a difference. It sounds great. All right. So I have three, the rapid fire questions are, they're kind of fun. They're around yeah. the state of Wisconsin. So <laughs> first thing that comes, that comes to mind for the next three questions. All right. First one is what is your favorite restaurant in Wisconsin? Oh, favorite restaurant. That is, that is tricky. Um, now I feel like all of my restaurant friends, I don't want to insult anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hard. I like a lot of different food. So, I mean, I love sushi. I love Indian food. I love a fish fry. I didn't understand the whole fish fry thing until I moved here and lived here for several years. That, you nearly have me stumped. Um, I will say generally I like to eat out, like eat things out at restaurants that I won't, won't cook at home or don't cook at home as much. But I, I, that is a hard one to answer. You could ask me anything else. <laughs> all right. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the pass on this. All one. right. Um, pass. All right, so, so, so second question is, what is your favorite event in Wisconsin? Hmm. Okay, I will tell you one of, I mean, there's lots of really cool events. Um, I would have to say during Dairy Month, which are these weird cow things that I now know that you just pick up by osmosis in Wisconsin, which is I know that June is Dairy Month. And the first time I went to Farmer's Market in June and they had the cows on the square, that was just one of my favorite things. I couldn't believe they had cows up on the square next to the Capitol, surrounded by Farmer's Market. And the, obviously the cows were all beautifully scrubbed up and clean and very happy trying to keep them content. But I just it was super memorable to me as someone who didn't grow up in Wisconsin and they hear, hear the cows were right in front of the Capitol. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and I, and I like cows. So yep. it works out. Yep. Mm -hmm. They are, they are pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. um, last rapid fire question here. Where is your favorite place to hang out in Wisconsin? I mean, I do like my own backyard, I won't lie. Um, let's see, hang out. I do spend a lot of time just like hiking or on the bike path. Um, I think that's just, to me, like being able to get outside in Wisconsin. So whether it's a state park, there's so many beautiful places to hike and enjoy nature. And Wisconsin has a lot of that to offer. Absolutely. I mm -hmm. think Michael Johnson had a, his was the bike trail. So hmm. very so oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. 
All right. The the last two questions I have for you are a little little deeper. Um, first one is, how has Wisconsin helped shape you into who you are? Yeah, I think Wisconsin has definitely shown me as, you know, I've started a nonprofit and how charitable they are and a lot of their residents and the community that I've been able to find, I think, you know, was supporting myself in growing a nonprofit and sustaining a nonprofit takes a lot of people. Um, it's not a one-person job, whether it's myself or and my employees or volunteers. It takes thousands of people to do what we do, um, and that is something that I think I'm proud to say that I live in Wisconsin, and that nearly nearly all of our donations, um, whether that's monetary um, or it's book donations, all come from the state, and that that's impressive to me. I think it shows that Wisconsiners uh, take education seriously, take literacy seriously, and that they want kids in our community to um, have the right literacy skills so that they can be excellent, viable residents and be happy to be here and live here. Yeah, that's great. I I would definitely concur. I mean, that, that Midwest nice, the Wisconsin nice uh, component kind of comes into that. We are, uh, I've seen uh, throughout the Dane County area, just so much charitable contribution to things. And it's great that, that you have this, uh, the Madison Reading Project for people to, to really help support kids and um, build those, build that literacy um, network per se. All right, last question for you. Um, yeah. And I, I ask all my guests, this question, it ties back into the name Wisco Legacy. When all is said and done, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I think for me, I, I mean, I think of my own kids um, or just other people that I do know or what I, you know, the legacy I would leave behind. Um, I think what's important to me is that each individual person can make a difference um, so now, of course, I don't have the quote perfectly for you, um, but I got a quote right when I was starting out in a fortune cookie. Um, and it's, I'll give you the exact quote. I'll have to email it to you later. But pretty much it says in two sentences that um, one person can make a difference and you don't need a thousand. You just need a couple people in that like mind to join you. Um, and I taped that fortune cookie to my laptop and that's what I stared at for years. <laughs> and I would truly believe that would be the type of legacy that I would leave behind and let others know that that is true. Yeah, that, that's a great legacy goal to have. And, uh, through the work you're doing with, with the Madison reading project and, um, throughout your life, it seems like you're, you're doing a really good job with that. And, uh, I'm so excited to, to see where the future of the Madison Reading Project goes with, with you being full-time now and having a great team behind you. It's uh, it's really exciting to see. Thank you. Yeah, our team, I truly am honored to lead our team. They're extremely passionate about our cause and um, I'm excited to see where we go. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Anything else before we wrap up? That Go read a book. Thank you, Rowan, for taking the time to share your journey and share the origin story of the Madison Reading Project. From creating and growing a nonprofit while working a full-time job to changing the culture of reading in the Dane County area, the work you've done, Rowan, is truly inspiring. 
If you want to support the Madison Reading Project, head out to madisonreadingproject.com. If you like this podcast, head out to your favorite podcast app or YouTube and hit subscribe and follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thanks again for tuning in to Wisco Legacy.